Well, good morning. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke chapter 10, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so go ahead and turn there. Um, as you're turning there, we believe that the Scriptures are sufficient. And what that means is we believe theologically that God has spoken to us through His Scripture and provides us everything we need to know to be in right standing with Him and to live in relationship with Him. And so we proclaim that the Scriptures are sufficient and we proclaim that they're inspired, that God's Word is His true communication to us, that He speaks to us through His Word. And so when we open up the Bible, um, when we open the Scripture, that is God speaking to us and His Holy Spirit illuminates that in our hearts. And so it is good practice to pray before we open the Scriptures. So let's do that now. Father, this morning as we open up to Luke chapter 10, we ask that you would humble us, that we as a congregation long to hear from you. We as a congregation want to be transformed by you and be drawn nearer to you. And so this morning we ask for the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to work in the midst of us. Lord, that your name would be glorified, that you would be exalted among the nations, and that you would transform us so that we may then go and transform the heart of the city. Watch over us now as we investigate your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the name Louis Giglio. Um, Louis Giglio is the head pastor for Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. It is a mega church. But he, before becoming the head of Passion City Church, was in charge of the Passion Events. If you might know of these, the Passion Events were college-age events that would fill up stadiums, uh, would attract anywhere from thirty to 40,000 college students over the course of a long weekend. And I remember going to one in Nashville when I was in college, and there being 40,000 college students filling out an entire stadium and they would bring the biggest bands and the biggest speakers and all of Christendom and it was kind of this Christian Super Bowl just this massive event where people from all over the literally all over the world would come and be a part of this and a lot of big names in the Christian music industry spun off of those events and it was a wonderful time a lot of worship took place there and it was great but Louis Giglio was the head of all of these things. God was using him in amazing ways, and it was really a movement of the Spirit. And I remember in high school and college, Louis Giglio was a hero of mine. He, I would listen to his sermons. In fact, I would get his sermons on these things called CDs. You might remember them. Um, but it, it was a way for me to listen to the sermons, and I would listen to them over and over. And I would even memorize his sermons because I loved Louis Giglio. I loved the way he preached. I loved the way that he delivered messages. I loved his thoughts and comments on things. And he was a real hero of mine. The Passion event took place in Atlanta one year when I was in college. I had a group of buddies that went to it, and they wanted me to be a part of it. They wanted me to come down and hang out and be a part of it. It was a four-day event, but it was in the middle of my finals week. And so I, just because of my anxiety, I couldn't bring myself to go. My heart was telling me go. Everything else was telling me to stay at home. Uh, and so I ended up staying at home and missing out on the Passion event. But my friend Zach and a few others went down to Atlanta. It was about two hours from North Augusta, where I'm from. And they were there about two days into the passion event. I get a phone call from Zach. We had caller ID, but this was before text messaging and it was before you could take pictures on your cell phones. Uh, but I had caller ID and so I knew it was Zach and I was in the middle of studying. And so I almost didn't pick up the phone call. 
Uh, I was just so busy with studying and being busy doing schoolwork and preparing for exams that I didn't pick up, or I almost didn't pick up the phone call. Thankfully, I did. And uh, when I picked up, uh, I said, hello. And I thought it was going to be Zach, but it was a familiar voice, but I couldn't quite place the voice. Couldn't quite place the voice. And the person said, is this Charlie? And I said, yes. And the person on the other line said, this is Louis Giglio. And immediately I said, no, it's not. And I hung up. Um, (laughs) and, And that's a true story. Praise God, the person called me back because sure enough, it was Louis Giglio. And what happened was Zach was able to sneak back into the AV area, the audiovisual area, and Louis Giglio was getting his microphone put on. They were doing a sound check. And Zach's first thought was, I need to call Charlie. And so he called me and then just handed the phone to this random Louis Giglio. And there's actually a picture to this day in my house of me on the phone with Louis Giglio. It's a picture of Louis Giglio, not me. Uh, but was that would be weird. But was on the phone with him. It was an interesting story, and I got to talk to my hero, but I almost missed it because I was so busy. I was too busy studying. I almost didn't pick up the phone call. And even when he said who it was, I was so busy that I didn't even want to think about it actually being Louis Giglio. That seems so outrageous to me. And I almost missed it. Have you ever been so busy that you miss something? And maybe it's a text message. Maybe you miss a text. Uh, Or maybe it's an important email from your boss or somebody that needs to hear from you soon. uh, And so you neglected to respond to it because you're busy doing other things. Or maybe your spouse is talking to you and you are busy on your computer and so you don't hear them. Or maybe you're so busy with your career that you miss the upbringing of your children. Or maybe it's a loved one who passed away and you missed precious moments with them because you were so busy climbing the ladder of your career. But I think we're a people who are very, very, very busy. And today in our passage, we're going to look at two people and their response to busyness. We're going to take a little side tour on another point, but we are going to look at busyness. So in your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, picking up in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, so at this time Jesus was already um, attracting huge crowds in his ministry. Jesus was very popular. If this was nowadays, he'd have a lot of followers on Twitter. He'd have the blue check. He would have, he would be on the news. They would interview him. Whenever there's moral and ethical problems, they would interview Jesus. Jesus was absolutely astounding at everything that he was doing. He was going around preaching, performing miracles, teaching with authority. Jesus was attracting large crowds. He was in his Galilean ministry and was traveling the area. And just before this, he sends out 72 of his followers. He sends out 72 of his followers to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel, that the kingdom of heaven is breaking into our reality. Then he goes on to tell the most famous parable, which is the parable of the good Samaritan. And then we get this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. At this time, um, Jesus was, most scholars would consider him homeless. Uh, He says the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And then Martha is inviting him into her home. She is inviting him in. This is hospitality. This is what it looks like to be a good neighbor. She would uh, prepare for them a meal, and then she would um, give them a place to stay for the evening. And so she invites them into her home. Much like our culture during this time, to invite someone into your home is to invite them into relationship. She had a sister called Mary, this is verse 39, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Here we get Jesus coming into the house of Martha. And one of the very first things that we learn is that she has a sister named Mary who is sitting at Jesus's feet and listening to him. Now, I want to point something out as English speakers and English readers. We are missing something radical here. We are missing a huge piece to the puzzle of this passage because in this context, it would be radical for Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus. Here's why. In the Gospel of Luke, when someone sits at the feet of Jesus, they are considered a disciple. Whenever, in Luke's Gospel particularly, you see someone sitting at the feet of Jesus in order to listen to Him, in order to receive His teaching, they are considered a disciple. Now, why is that radical? Because Mary is a woman. Now, I'm I'm not trying to be offensive when I say that. I'm not trying to um, be a, a shock jock or anything along those lines. This is culturally offensive because this is traditionally a man's space. To, to be at the feet of Jesus, to be at the feet of any rabbi, would have been the, the role of a man in the ancient Near Eastern culture. And yet here we have Mary bursting out of what is typically a female's role to be preparing to be getting the food ready, getting the um, beds ready, whatever that looks like, and being in a man's space. This is absolutely radical. We don't know if Jesus invites her or if she came on her own volition. We don't know what Jesus is talking about. But what we do know is that Jesus doesn't rebuke or condemn her in any way. And it seems that he accepts it. He accepts Mary as his disciple. This is radical because she's a woman. And, and do you not think that all the other disciples would be gasping right now going, this person has no place to be here. This is radical. This is offensive. But what I love about Jesus is that over and over and over throughout the Gospels, He elevates the status of women. He elevates the status of the lowly. He elevates the status of the marginalized, the people who are hurting and broken, the people of different races. He elevates their status all throughout the Gospels. If you remember back to where Jesus is calling His twelve disciples, who does He call? Tax collectors. Tax collectors were the hated of the hated. They were people who sold out their own biological people in order to raise funds for an oppressive army. They were hated. And Jesus says, follow me. He takes fishermen, people who would have flunked out of rabbinic school, people who were ceremonially unclean. He takes them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he takes Mary and says, you are a disciple because she's sitting at his feet. Jesus over and over elevates the status of women. Do you know that when he is raised from the dead, the first two people to herald the good news are women? You know, their testimony would not have been accepted in court during that time, but they were accepted in the kingdom. And over and over, Jesus elevates women and the lowly and the marginalized, the people of different races, the people who have been pushed to the outskirts of society. 
Here's why I'm talking about this. One, because it's in the text and it's radical. But two, because some of you are convinced that God can't use you. Some of you are truly convinced that because of maybe your gender, I don't know, maybe the color of your skin or your race, maybe because of your background, maybe because of some sort of um, developmental delay, or maybe because of anxiety, or maybe because of a terminal illness, you are convinced that God can't use you. Or maybe you have a a particular sin and you've sinned so many times and in so many ways that you're convinced that you've disqualified yourself from the race. But the reality is God takes broken people. God takes people who were looked down upon in society. God takes the marginalized, the lowly and the broken, and He uses them to transform the heart of a region. Believer, God can use you. In fact, in the economy of God, it seems like He doesn't take those who are equipped for the job, but He takes those who are not equipped and He equips the called. When God calls you, He equips you. You see, a lot of us look at our vision, transforming the heart of the city, and we say, that's too big of a job. That's up to Charlie, that's up to Stan, that's up to Claire, that's up to Shelton. They're the ones with the horsepower and the pizzazz and they can stand up there and they can preach and they can do it. And the reality is, we need you and God's calling you. God's calling each and every one of you, no matter where you're from, no matter your gender, no matter your race, no matter your background, God is calling each of us to transform the heart of the city. And that's radical. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus learning and we're called to sit at the feet of Jesus as well and be His disciples. Let's keep going. I have to check my watch because there's no, there's no clock and I, I want to be cognizant of your time. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. Let's just stop right there because there's a dichotomy set up. There's Mary who's sitting at the feet of Jesus and then there's Martha who's distracted by much. Now, I don't want you to look at your spouse or your significant other when I say this. Some of y'all, especially when there's company over, are distracted by much. Okay, now don't look at your wife. Don't look at your husband. Don't nudge anybody. You're not the Holy Spirit today. All right. Some of y'all are distracted by much. Um, some of you in this room, and I'm like this, I get this. Some of you, as soon as a dish touches the sink, it has to be washed and put in the dishwasher. Anyone? It's me. Yeah. I don't understand why you have to wash dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. That drives me crazy. seems like a very inefficient machine if it can't do its own job. Some of y'all make sure you're so stressed out that the right towels are in the bathroom. You have to have the towels that are there for decoration, and then there's the towels that you actually use to dry your hands with. Some of y'all are so stressed out about dust being on the shelves as though it is bad for your home to look like someone actually lives there when there's company over. Some of you have gone straight past bed and bath and straight to beyond. Let's just be honest here. And you're distracted and you're busy with much. You're busy with much. And and here's where my heart breaks for Martha. Martha was distracted and busy by much and didn't realize that in the very next room was God in the flesh. That one room over sat God. 
an opportunity that you and I would give anything for, an opportunity that you and I would exchange anything for, any amount of money you can take because I just want to sit and I want to commune with Jesus in the flesh. I want to be there. And Martha had that opportunity, but she was so busy with the tyranny of the urgent, the things that were right in front of her, that she missed it. In fact, she grew upset. And my big encouragement today is very simple. My, my big take-home point today is very simple. It's don't miss it. That's not complicated. There's no theological treatise about that. Don't miss it. You see, Martha was so busy preparing. She was so busy getting food on the table. She was so busy make sure, making sure that the water glasses were filled with water, that people were comfortable. Busy doing good things, not bad things. It's not as though Martha were somewhere sinning. It's not as though she was doing things that offended the Lord. She was busy doing good things, but so busy that she missed it. Don't miss it this morning. Don't miss time with Jesus this morning. We're a busy people, aren't we? We're distracted people. We have TVs on our back porches now. TVs in our bedroom, earphones or or headphones in our ears all the time. 90% of cell phone users experience something called phantom vibration. And I don't even feel like I need to explain what that is because most of you know. But it's when you feel like your phone is notifying you of something when it really isn't. Did you know the average American worker switches tasks every three minutes? Every three minutes they're onto something new, onto something that can hold their attention. And if you remember back two times ago when I preached, I preached that the average Christian doesn't pray for more than five minutes a day. We switch tasks faster or more often than we spend time in prayer. We're a busy people distracted by much. And my heart breaks for Martha because I'm I'm Martha. And my guess is that you are too. That in the dichotomy here, we're not carving out time to sit at the feet of Jesus. We're so consumed with busyness of getting to the next thing, being at the next meeting, getting a response to those texts, getting our kids to the right swim meet or the right area of town, making sure that we live in the right places and drive the right things and have the right stuff. We're so consumed with this hamster wheel of life that we forget the one thing that's necessary. And I don't know about you. But I feel like one thing isn't enough. Jesus says there's one necessary thing, but I feel like life's a little more complicated than that. I feel like I have to get my kid from carpool and I have to get the right things and I have to be at the right places and I have to look a certain way and all these things are necessary. So where does this stem from? How did did we get here? And listen, I'm not knocking stuff. I'm not trying to tell you what car to drive or where to live or, or anything like that. I'm just pointing out where we're at. Did you know from 1980 to 1999 was the largest jump in expendable income in U.S. history? The average household income went from 16, it was like 15,700, something along those lines, to about $23,000. And for the first time, a, a large chunk of people had what's called expendable income. They were able to spend money on some things, some nice things. And at the same time, there was the rise of discount stores like Target and Walmart. You might have heard of these places. And this is brilliant marketing, but they took necessary items and they tweaked them a little bit to make them luxury items. It's absolutely brilliant. Here's what I mean. Would you ever spend $8 on a cup of coffee? No, of course not. Nobody in their right mind would spend $8 on coffee, right? 
you can get 13 years worth of coffee for seven bucks. Why would you spend eight dollars on a cup of coffee? But we will spend eight dollars on an iced caramel macchiato, won't we? Oh, absolutely. You bet we will. Or listen to this. This is even crazier. You would never spend three hundred and fifty dollars on a cooler, right? Like only somebody out of their mind would do that. But we will spend three hundred and fifty dollars on a Yeti Hopper 30, wouldn't we? I'll spend 400 if it's got my team colors on it. Because Lord knows we have to keep our drinks cool for seven days straight. (laughs) And we take items that are luxury items and we convince ourselves that they're necessary. Here's a real thought that I had. Um, My car needs new tires on it. It'll be about $500 if anybody's feeling generous today. That's a joke. Don't, don't. But my car does need new tires. And I had this real thought. Maybe. Maybe it's time to upgrade. Because why spend 500 when I could spend 42,000? <laughs> and you laugh because you've had that thought too. And the reality is if I spend 500, maybe six months down the line, I have to spend 300 more on something else. Do the math, people. It just makes sense. And we're convinced that we have to have these things. I have to have the nicest car. I have to live in the right area of town. My kids have to get into the right college. I have to have the right cooler and the right logo on my polo shirt. I have to have these things. And so in order to get those things, we have to be busy. And we wear busyness as if it's some sort of badge of honor or a crown. And in the midst of all of our busyness, we're missing Jesus. We're missing the one necessary thing. And again, I'm not saying stuff's bad. I have stuff. Alright? I'm not telling you cars are bad or that living in a nice house is bad. I'm not telling you where to live. I'm not telling you what to drive. I'm saying don't lose your mind over it. Because so many people are losing their minds. You know, as Christians, we're called to live a life that looks different than the world. And the more I investigate my own life, the more I realize that I'm just as busy, just as distracted, and after just as much stuff as everyone else. How are we living differently? How are we being molded by Jesus? How are we being shaped by Jesus? How are we transforming so that we might go out and transform the heart of the city? Because you can't do that unless you're transformed. You can't call people to transformation unless you yourself have been transformed. What are you doing that looks different? Let's keep going. Verse 40, But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? You can tell she's stressed out because she goes to Jesus instead of Mary. She goes to Jesus uh, with her problem. 41, Martha, Martha. This is how you know she's anxious because Jesus says her name twice. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Hasn't the endless pursuit of stuff caused us to be worried and upset about many things? Isn't it, isn't it the case that every time you want something new, every time you've got to get that new iPhone, because Lord knows you need facial recognition now, Every time you need that new house, every time you need that new golden retriever, whatever it looks like for you, doesn't our anxiety level just go a little bit higher? 
Every time you start feeling like you don't have enough, that, that we grow discontent with our stuff, doesn't that anxiety go a little bit higher? Did you know America is the largest user of psychotropic drugs to help ease anxiety? Did you know that across the board, not even, not even relegated to one of the four generations, across generational gaps, all anxiety indicators are going through the roof? Why? Because we've been sold this lie that we need more stuff in order to be happy. And every time we reach that level of stuff that we think is going to make us happy, where does the bar go? One notch higher. I know this because I have an iPhone 13 and I already want a 14. And it's not even out yet. We're always discontent. And Jesus says there's one necessary thing. What is that necessary thing? He refers to Mary. To sit at the feet of the Lord. So I'm going to make an assumption that most of us are off tomorrow. That most of us are off work on the 4th of July. Not Maybe not everybody, but most of us. And so here's what I'll encourage you to do. Carve out time to sit with Jesus. Before the grill starts up, before the boat starts, before the rest of the house wakes up, maybe. I, I tend to wake up before everyone else in my house. I know that I have about an hour or two before the house starts stirring, and yet I still find things to occupy my time and not spend time with the Lord. But before everyone starts stirring, maybe, maybe tomorrow you wake up early. And you open the Scriptures and you pray and you spend time in the Word of God. I'm not saying an hour. Five minutes. Ten minutes. If you want to get crazy, 15 minutes. Are you spending time sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you spending time being molded by, being transformed by, being loved on by, being pieced back together by? Are you spending time at the feet of Jesus? Because he says to Martha, only one thing is necessary. And it looks like sitting at his feet and letting him love you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we all confess that no one sets out to be distracted. No one sets out to ignore you. No one sets out to neglect you or neglect time with you. It just happens to be a byproduct of the busyness that we've bought into. And so, Father, I pray that we would be intentional. That we would carve out time today, tomorrow, to spend with you. That we would sit and do the one necessary thing. That we would spend that time in communion with you. To be loved on by you. To be transformed by you. For your word to be illuminated in our hearts. To be drawn near to you. King of kings, Lord of lords, best friend. And so, Father, watch over us now as we continue in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.